0: Well, we are spending the month of December celebrating Advent. And I'll remind you from last week. Advent means appearing or arrival or coming. And in Christianity, there are two great advents. The advent where Christ came as the child and the advent where Christ is coming as king. The first advent that we call Christmas and we're celebrating this month and the second advent, his return that we are anticipating daily. And so the advent celebration in December is about joyfully waiting and preparing for both. The first advent and all that that means to us and His coming, the second Advent, and all that that means for us. Advent is about intentionally making room for Christ, who came, who is here, and who is coming again, who was and is and who is to come. Advent is about intentionally making room in our busy, crazy, difficult, fun lives for Jesus. And so we're spending December talking about these themes that pertain to Advent, both his first Advent and his second Advent, hope, love, joy, and peace. Last week we talked about hope, this week we'll talk about love, and then in the following two weeks... Joy and peace. And so we're doing this traditional, somewhat cheesy, awesome thing of lighting the Advent candles, which we've never done before. And many of you have mentioned this week can we get different colored candles? Those look so cheesy. But these are the traditional, cheesy colors. So we will love them. And these four candles are representing for us those themes hope, love, joy, and peace. The pink one, which stands out, is the one that represents joy that we'll light next week. And the one in the middle, of course, represents Jesus. Can we just say that name again? The one in the middle represents Jesus. Jesus. And we'll light that one together on Christmas Eve. And so for Advent, we're having different families come up and read some scripture and then light the candles for us. So I want to bring up the Cope family. Come on up, guys. Cope family. (laughs) Okay, it's muy grande family. Rich and Vicky, you'll, you'll know who Rich is, the dad Vicky, you won't be able to tell her from the kids. They have two biological children, one that bought into the deal over there, Ryan, married Carissa, lucky guy. And they've adopted seven children. All seven of them are not up here because two of them, I'm told, would have knocked over everything on stage. So we left them <laughs> in kids' church. This is a beautiful Cope family. And Gloria is going to read for us the scripture today. So, sweetheart, come up to the mic. And go ahead, sweetie.
1: Isaiah 49, 13 through 16. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. But the Lord said, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him.
0: Amen. The the word of the Lord. And now the lighting of the candle. By Brandon and Rebecca. Hope and love have come to us in Christ. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Good job. All right, let's open up in our Bibles then to John 3:16. I have to confess that it is a, a discipline for me at Christmas time to give Christ his due attention. I just get so excited about presents. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I am thankful to have a mom and dad who are some of the most generous people in the world, and I just love giving them my Christmas list. And I think <laughs> all, all December long about the presents. And we're all thinking about presents. I was praying this week that I would be as generous as my parents have been to me, that I would have ideas of gifts to get people. You know, there's people that we got to get gifts for. And I, I, I realized this this week, there are some presents that, that we will buy this Christmas time and give to people. There are certain gifts we will give just because we kind of have to. You know what I mean? The person that you're related to or the coworker or whatever it is, there's certain gifts that you'll give just because you have to, and, and that's okay. But there are other gifts that you will give this Christmas that you are so excited to put in the hands of that person because you so love that person. You so know this person. You got just the right gift in your heart and your mind. And you're, you're more excited to give it than you are to receive anything else. Those are different gifts. Aren't they? Those true love gifts. And you know when you receive one of those. You know when you're just getting the obligatory gift, you open it up and it sucks. Oh, (laughs) praise the Lord. Thank you. (laughs) needed some. Again, thanks. But you know when you've received a true love gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Lord, thank you for this love gift. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your son, who died in our place on the cross, whose blood was shed for us, that we might have the forgiveness of sins, that we might experience the Father's love, that we who were far off might be brought near, that we who were spiritually dead might be given new life and eternal life. We who were rebels have become sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we who were in the kingdom of darkness have been transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son and have been adopted and are now your very own and your special possession. Thank you, Father, for this incredible love and this incredible gift. We just pray that at this season, it would not be lost on us, but we would truly rejoice in this love gift. Give us ears to hear today, Lord. Enable me to preach for your glory by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, Advent is about making room for Jesus at Christmas time. And we realize, the world doesn't always realize, but we realize that Christmas is about Jesus, right? We get that. The world doesn't even want to say Christmas anymore. Because they, they finally figured out that it's actually Christmas, that it's Spanish for more Jesus. They're finally getting that. And so they don't want to say that anymore. So they say happy holidays. But they don't realize that holidays comes from holy days. Ha ha! 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 Can't get away from it. They want to get away from it, but we realize that Christmas is about Jesus. And so, it can kind of sound absurd that we we need to be real intentional about making room for Jesus at Christmas time. It can sound absurd, but we know it's not absurd. We know that we really really have to be purposeful in this busy season to make room for Jesus in our lives. Did it ever occur to you that the story of Christmas is the story of the fact that there was no room for Jesus. That's the story that first night. There was no room for Jesus. That's how the story of Christmas begins. That in some huge way is the story of Christmas. There was no room for this love gift of God. This love gift of God was relegated to a stall, which would have been a cave, which would have been cold and dank and removed. And in that genesis of the Christmas story, we begin to realize that as humanity, we don't always want what we ought to want. We don't always want what we should really want. Look in verse 19 of John 3. It says this, it says, and this is the judgment that the light is come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. You see, we don't always want what we should want. Jesus was relegated to a cave which would have been dark and cold and removed. And it's amazing to me that the question still lingers in our own hearts and even in the heart of Christ. Is there room for him in this season? Revelation 3.20 pictures Jesus knocking on the door of the church Of his people knocking on the door. Saying, if you open the door to me, I will come in. But there again, we see Jesus on the outside. There again, the question is confronting us. Is there room? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him. The question is still very relevant. and The question is still being asked. And Jesus wasn't saying that to non-believers in Revelation 3.20. We often use that passage in evangelism, but he was talking to those who were his. He was talking to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, asking the question, is there room in your life for me? Christ is saying. And you know, when we hear that, when we speak of these things, when we think about is, is there room for Jesus in our hearts in this season, our conscience And perhaps more poignantly, the Holy Spirit begins to prick us a little bit. And all of our preparation for this season, are we rightly prepared for the Advent, the appearing, the arrival, the coming of Christ? Are we rightly prepared for that? The implications of his first coming and his second coming. And when we start to ask that question, we realize that Advent has to be, if nothing else, it has to be a season of self-examination. Am I ready for Christ who came who is and who is coming again? And we don't think about that very long before we realize that Christianity is actually very much a thing of self-examination. We find ourselves joining with the psalmist all the time who in Psalm 139 said, search me, Lord, and know my anxious thoughts. Let me know if there's any way in my life that offends you and lead me in the way of everlasting life. Christianity is, and certainly Advent is, to some degree, a time of self-examination. Am I making room in my life for Christ, and all that that means? And as we self-examine, here is perhaps the most pressing preparation and the most telling self-examination. We must answer this question in this season. This will seem strange, but here's here's a question we must ask ourselves: Am I ready to be loved? Am I ready to be loved? Now, it seems a silly question because everybody wants to be loved. But the question of whether or not we're ready to be loved by God is a different question entirely. Are you ready to be loved by God is a different question and a different set of self-examinations entirely. What do you think that means, ready for God's love? Well, there's two sorts of people that would answer that question quickly, readily. And in keeping with the Christmas theme, we'll identify them this way. The naughty and the nice. (laughs) The naughty and the nice are ready to answer the question, am I ready to be loved by God? Because you see, the naughty knows that he or she is naughty. And so here's how, what the naughty thinks in light of that question. The naughty thinks, well, I, I have to, and I can do something to earn God's love. So being ready for me since I'm naughty means doing better and being better to make myself lovable to God. That's how the naughty answers that question. But then there's the other group of people who are the nice. And the nice thinks about, am I ready for the love of God? And they think, well... I am quite lovable, aren't I? And so being ready for God's love for me would just mean being ready and expecting the love that I clearly deserve. But you see, God is nothing like Santa Claus. God does not deal in the naughty and the nice. In God's economy, no one is merely naughty and no one is even close to nice to the supposed nice the scriptures would say you're actually not lovable at all to the supposed naughty the scriptures would say there's nothing you can do to make yourself lovable to the supposed nice the scriptures would say all have gone astray and sinned there are none who seek after good you're wretched and blind and you don't know it you've offended a holy god To the supposed naughty, the scriptures would say, stop trying. Even your righteous deeds are as filthy rags before the holy God of Israel. To prepare ourselves for God's love to appear in Advent is to realize this then, that we are not and we could never possibly be lovable. In the sight of God. Hmm. Remember last week when we were looking at the book of Isaiah, God's description of his people. Isaiah 1 4. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. God so loved the world. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. You see, Israel was lingering under the weight of the law, as are all of we before we come to Christ. All of we, all of us, I don't know English. Neither G nor I have mastered English. Israel was under the weight of the law, and the law... Only and always does two things. It shows God to be holy and you to be wicked. That's what the law does. No flesh shall be declared righteous by the law, the scriptures say. The law always and only shows God to be holy and for us to be wicked. So that God could justly say to his beloved Israel, what a sinful nation you are loaded down with a burden of guilt and evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. Lovable was not part of the description. But then remember his promise to the same people later in the chapter, Isaiah 118. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. God was promising in his love for God so loved the world to do something for people under the weight of the law, to do something for them that they could never do for themselves. So to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ, to answer the question, am I ready to be loved by God, is to realize that the truth about Christmas is that we are more wicked than we ever dared imagine, but we are more loved than we could possibly ever dream. This is the paradox. This is the strange juxtaposition of Christianity. God does not love us for God so loved the world. Put your name in there. For God so loved you. But God does not love you because you are lovable. God loves you because he is love. You see that? God does not love you because you're lovable, because you're nice. God loves you because he himself is love. We are not loved by him because we're lovely, but his love makes us lovely. Consider what he said to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter seven. It says this, the Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you are more in number than any of the peoples for you are the fewest of all the peoples. Okay, stop right there. The Lord did not love you or choose you because of anything in you, right? When we go to choose something, we choose the best. He chose Israel just as he's chosen you, Christian. Called them his special possession just as you have become the special possession of God. His children, just as you by putting your faith in Jesus have become the children of God. But he says, I did not choose you because of anything having to do with you. Verse 8, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation. There's Moses speaking for the Lord and says explicitly to Israel, listen, you are God's chosen people. You are the beloved of God, but not because of you. Why did the Lord love you? Because he loved you. Because of his nature, his character, his quality, there's nothing in us that obligates God to love us. There's nothing in us in light of the holiness of God that would be desirable to God, make us lovely to God. There's nothing that we could do that would cause God to say, Oh my, now there is someone glorious that I ought to love. It's not the way it works. God did not choose you because of anything having to do with you, Moses said to Israel. He didn't love you for anything in you. He loved you because he is love. So to prepare ourselves to be loved by God is to put ourselves in that place that Israel was last week when we found them in Isaiah. You remember this from Isaiah 9, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw great light. And those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Okay, here's who's who and what's what. We are those sitting in the land of darkness and Christ is the light that has dawned in the land. Christ is the love gift to we who have been loaded down with a burden of guilt. And only when we see that reality that apart from Christ, we're in darkness, loaded with guilt, evil, rejecting the Lord, only when we acknowledge that reality, then can we be prepared to receive God's love because only then do we recognize the true nature of God's love. You see, what we think about love is represented by naughty and nice. I'm nice, why wouldn't you love me? I've been naughty, but I'll do something to make you love me. That is the way that many of us are functioning in our relationships and in our relationship to God right now. Many of you are sitting there today and you think, well, I have generally been nice. I'm expecting God to bless me today. And others of you are sitting there today and you say, I I know that I've been naughty And I I don't at all expect God to bless me. You have a wrong understanding of the nature of God's love. It has nothing to do with naughty and nice. You see, God's love is not deserved and it can't be earned. God loves us because of who he is, not who we are. We are, again, in light of God's holiness, all God. together, unlovable. And this is wonderful news. You say, oh, Pastor Brett, you're not preaching well today. That doesn't make sense. You just told me how unlovable I am, but you're saying that that is truly good news. Well, even the angels agreed that first Christmas when they appeared to the shepherds and said, behold, I bring you good news of a great joy. For there has been born to you this day in the city of Bethlehem a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news of a great joy. A Savior has come. Do you realize that if a Savior is coming and it's good news, you need to be saved. Savior is not good news unless you need to be saved. You could be sitting on dry land, and I come to you, and I hand you a buoy. And you say, well, thanks. But the moment you're drowning in deep waters, and I bring to you the buoy, it's life. It's everything. It's good news of great joy. We were those who were drowning in the waters of our sins, and we have been given a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angels said, behold, this is good news of a great joy. Now, why is this truly good news, and why are we talking about this at Christmas? This is Christmas. Listen, put this on the screen for you. If God's love for us is based on our being lovable, if it's something that is deserved, um, excuse me, if it's not deserved, if it's not based on our being lovable, this is why I put it on the screen for you. <laughs> Let me just read it. If God's love for us <laughs> is not based on our being lovable, if it is not deserved, then it is greater than we could ever deserve or warrant in ourselves. You see, in Christ, God has given us more than we could ever imagine we deserve. And if you think God loves you because of you, here's the catch. Then there will come a day when you will believe God does not love me because of me. If you think that God loves you because of you, there will come a day where you think God does not love me because of me. It may be on your deathbed. It may be in that moment of sobriety when your whole life is flashing before your eyes and you realize I'm not all that I thought I was. And that will be the moment of despair. If God's love is something that can be deserved and God's love is something that can be undeserved, not deserved, do you think that you're lovable because of you? And there will come a moment in your life where you think there's no way that God could possibly love me because I know me. If you think that God loves you because of what you do, then there will come a time when you think God does not love you because of what you've done. Thank you. That's good. (laughs) I got a good one. I'll put this on the screen for you. If God's love for us is not based on our being good, if it cannot be earned, then it will remain when we fail. If it cannot be earned, it cannot be lost. If it cannot be earned, it cannot be lost. This is truly good news because how often of us, how many of us, how often have thought, surely God doesn't love me anymore. might not use those words because John 3.16 has been so superimposed on our Christian minds but we act that way sometimes don't we gosh I've blown it so badly there's no way that God is going to be loving toward me there's no way that God could accept me anymore anybody ever feel that way anybody ever feel that way Ron I've Man, I've felt that way more in the last year than I've ever felt in my whole life. But it's truly good news to realize that God's love is never based on our being good. It can't be earned. Therefore, it can't be lost. It is truly the only love in the world that is unconditional. And it is greater than we could ever possibly dream. For those of you who think, well, I'm lovable. Of course he loves me. You have too low of a view, too low of a standard. He loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. You wretched blind scum. (laughs) Just using colorful language. So that's why our scripture that Gloria read for us is so important. Again, Isaiah 49, shout for joy. O heavens, And rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, this is what we often say, right? The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Stop right there. Does life ever feel that way to you? The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Never feels that way to you, Paula. Man, I felt that way this year. I felt that way so many times this year. But look how the scriptures rescue us. But the Lord says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. What do you think that's talking about? 700 years before Christ came. God said, I have already inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Christ is a lamb who was slain from before the foundations of the world. And when he rose again to prove the love of God, he said, behold my hands and my feet. Put here your finger in my side, Thomas, you who doesn't believe. God has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And do you know that the scriptures say Christ ever lives to intercede for you? And we often think that that means, well, Jesus is praying for me now. Uh, Maybe it means that, but here's what I think it means. I think that he bears the inscription of the father's love for you upon his palms before the throne of justice all day and all night. And every time you do something that would cause your conscience to say or the devil to say, there's no way that God could love me now. There's no way that God could bless me now. Christ is there to present the wounds before the father. Amen. And the wounds say he is loved. She is loved with an unfailing, everlasting, never quitting, forever love. And do you know that the scriptures say when Christ comes again that they will look upon him whom they have pierced and say, where did you get those wounds? And he'll say, in the house of my friends. He was wounded for our transgressions. The love of the Father has been inscribed on the palms of his hands. Christ who came, who is and is coming again bears the marks of the Father's love for you. God says in Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. You see, if God's love is based on who he is and what Christ has done, not on who we are and what we have done or failed to do, then that love cannot fail. It's a covenantal love, Right? The night before Christ had the love of the father inscribed on the palms of his hands with nails, he sat with his disciples around the Passover table and he took a cup and he said, this cup is a cup of a covenant in my blood, a covenant of the father's love for you. Take of it and drink. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You know what's interesting about that? The naughty and the nice would prefer a judgment. You see, the nice doesn't sweat it. In the judgment, I'll be shown to be good. I'm nice. I'm lovable. I'll be okay in the judgment. That is what many of your friends and family, members of our community believe. The nice don't sweat the judgment. The naughty, on the other hand, is willing to sweat for the judgment. I wouldn't be shown to be good, but I will do enough to make myself good. You see, there is a deep, deep sinful religious impulse in humanity that wants to prove itself righteous before God. That's why God gave the law. It only and always shows us to be guilty, wicked. It only and always shows God to be holy, Righteous, And it is only at the cross of Jesus Christ where the love and the justice of God met. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. You see, the one who is truly prepared for the love of God knows that God gives. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. A son is given. This is Christmas. A son is given. It's for us to believe. It's not about naughty or nice. It's about God's covenantal love in Christ that has brought us grace and peace. And the judgment, I must say, is to be sweated. The nice would say, I don't sweat it. I'll be shown to be good. The naughty would say, I don't sweat it. I'll do enough to be good. But the judgment is to be sweated. But Christmas is about the fact that Christ sweat in our place. In Gethsemane, in looking at the cross the next morning when he would take on the weight of my sin, of your sin, of the sins of the world, Christ knelt in the garden and prayed to the Father with drops of sweat like blood coming down his face. He said, Father, if there's any other way to save Brit than for me to go to the cross, then let's do that. If Christ sweat in the face of the judgment of the cross, then the the judgment is something to be sweated about. But Christ sweat in our place. Christ sweat in our place. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Listen to how, again, the prophet Isaiah, God speaking through him in Isaiah 55, spoke of this great salvation. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Talking about the spiritual benefits of being saved. Verse 3 God says, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he's near. Let the the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. Pause right there, keep the scriptures up. He will forgive generously. God has demonstrated his love for you in that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And so forgiveness is generous because the price has been paid by the blood of Christ. That's the first advent. Now look at the second advent, verse 12. When he comes again, he says, you will live in joy and peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Listen, this is the second advent of Jesus. At the first advent, there was no room in the inn and he was laid in a manger among animals and only the angels were singing. When Christ comes again as the king of glory, then even the hills will burst forth into song. Even the trees will begin to clap their hands when Christ comes again. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. It's talking about all things being redeemed. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name and will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. An everlasting sign of His power and His love. There are some gifts you will give this Christmas because you just have to. There are other gifts you can't wait to give because you love her so much. You love Him so much. There are some gifts you will get that you just get. There are other gifts that are glorious because you know that they're love gifts. Advent then is making room for the love gift of God. Let's end in Ephesians 2. Where I just was would have been a a great ending. But like any excited preacher, I just can't end yet. How do we make room for the love of God? by realizing that it has already been brought to us in the incarnation and the cross of Christ, and so enjoy it. Look at Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Read that again. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at it, verse 7. In order that, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus that for the ages to come, God might show the surpassing riches of his grace, how? In kindness to us. This is Christmas. We who were rebels, we who were wicked, we who had rejected the Lord, will forever be the recipients of the riches of his grace as God showers us in kindness for all eternity. Man, if that don't turn you on, you ain't got a (laughs) switch. How do we prepare for God's love? We enjoy it. You don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. It's undeserved. You're horrific, but you're loved. You've been saved if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are washed white as snow. You are forever his. So what do we do? We obey him. Yes, Fonray. Ray. We, that's who said yes. We obey him. First John 2, I'll put on the screen for you. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, second advent, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world doesn't know us. They don't get it because they did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet appeared what we will be. But we know that when He appears, the second advent, we will, will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. What do we do with so great a love? We enjoy and we obey. Enjoy the fact that you are loved when you're good and when you're bad, you are loved proven by the cross of Christ, inscribed on the palms of his hands. And in the face of this love, we obey. For Christ has come. But Christ is coming again. And we are his. And on that day, love will be made full. As you know, Kate and I are having a baby girl in March. I've never met this little girl, but I love this little girl. Right? You know about that. I've Never met this girl, but I, I love this little girl. But on the day she was born, it will be a different kind of love. I, I, I love her now in one way, but when I hold her, when I see her, love will be made full. And so Peter, who denied the Lord, Wrote in his first epistle, even though you don't see him now, you love him. When he comes again, we'll see him as he is. We'll look into the fullness of the eyes of the God who loves us and inscribed us on the palms of his hands. We'll see him in all his holiness and in beauty and in love. And at the second advent, love will be made full. We will fully love him and we will fully experience his love. Thank you, Lord. Oh, help us wait faithfully for this love to appear. Help us wait faithfully for this love to appear, God. Teach us as your people to enjoy your love, And teach us to obey, because we are so loved. Christ, you said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Oh, that you would empower us by the Holy Spirit to walk in a manner worthy of so great a love. Thank you that we are yours, Lord. Thank you that we've been bought with a price. Lord, if there's anyone here who has never put their faith in what you did on the cross for them in their place, I pray that you would help them now to repent of their sins and put all of their hope and belief in you and what you've done. That they would call upon you and say, God, clearly I've been wrong, but you are right. I'm drowning. Save me from my sins. And that you would save, Lord. Thank you that you love to save. Thank you that you're a willing Savior. And thank you for the day is coming where you'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more crying, no more mourning. No more pain, no more death. Thank you for that day. Help us to wait faithfully to them until then. Help us to be lights in this dark world for your glory. Thank you that we are the beloved of God.